0: Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. On this edition of Women Who Lead, you'll meet the CEO of Common Ground, a nonprofit providing 24 hour help to families in crisis in Metro Detroit. Comerica Bank's popular Women's Business Symposium is back in person this year, and we'll meet the co author of a new book that offers best practices for leadership in 2023. An interesting and important show coming up next. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. Our first guest on this edition of Women Who Lead is Heather Ray, the president and CEO of Common Ground. Heather is one of our 2023 Women Who Lead honorees. Congratulations, Heather, and welcome to the show. Thank you, nice to be here. Tell us a little bit about Common Ground. For our listeners who may not know about this organization, just kind of explain what you do, Heather.
1: Sure. Uh, Common Ground's core purpose is helping people move from crisis to hope. And that could be really any type of crisis. Uh, most often, uh, we're known for the behavioral health uh, crises, um, which includes mental health and substance use. And we serve people in Oakland County, Genesee County, and then uh, we just opened up a virtual behavioral health urgent care, and we're able to serve people across uh, Michigan.
0: So right now, I can only imagine how busy you are, because the need is great, right?
1: It is. It is. And um, what we're seeing is that a combination of stress, COVID, anxiety, and coming off of that Um, young people being out of school and having difficulty getting back to their social activities. Um, And we're also seeing an increase really due to the implementation of the 988, which is a national crisis line that Common Ground operates here in the state of Michigan. So we're, we're seeing people access services across the board.
0: Now, are all ages struggling, or is there a particular group that's really having a lot of trouble, Heather?
1: Well, certainly um, when parents are stressed, kids of all ages are stressed. Yeah, right. But what we're seeing in our work is around the 12 year old and up. Mm. And then, of course, we see um, different issues with adults um, who may have been doing pretty well uh, before COVID with maybe a mild depressive disorder. Uh, but uh, with the stress of of what's happened over the last three years, and and we're not out of it yet. I mean, COVID is behind us for the most part as far as the intensity level of it, but the impact on people has continued to to really um, cause a lot of stress and anxiety.
0: Now, how are you able to help? Do you sit down and work with the families and the children? You know, what are some of the services that are available for these people who are struggling?
1: So crisis services are services that are available in the moment, on demand, deal with the immediate crisis, and then connect people to ongoing care. So, for instance, um, we operate a um, crisis service continuum in Pontiac at the Resource and Crisis Center uh, that is operated or, or owned by Oakland Community Health Network. And so people can walk in. They can get um, uh, services through crisis intervention. They explain what's going on with their situation, and we're able to link them to maybe a mobile crisis team if they need aftercare, a crisis stabilization, alternative to inpatient. So it's really in the moment crisis intervention service to get whatever's going on in that person's life to a level where they can plan with us. And they have some immediate relief to then go on with their, their care through community
0: providers. And that's crucial, right, to get with the problem, help deal with the problem right away.
1: That is right. And that doesn't always, that's, those services are not always available across the state of Michigan. They're gearing up to be, there's more investment and recognition that crisis services are essential to communities. But, but right now, Common Ground is among uh, just a handful of crisis service providers across the state.
0: Our guest here today is Heather Ray. She's the president and CEO of Common Ground. Now, Heather, I know you talk about the pandemic being a big problem, but out of this pandemic, what are some of the issues that you're hearing about that teenagers, parents are really struggling with? What do they say?
1: Well, the number one thing I've heard is, we can't find help, Uh we can't find a psychiatrist, to uh, provide ongoing services, we can't find therapists. So the workforce issue is felt not only by employers, but by people served. So that's one of the things that I I hear a lot, is we just can't find that community provider. Um, The second is um, really symptoms of depression and anxiety. Those are the the two. I would say close third, which is related, is panic attacks. youth in particular, but certainly adults who um, are just overwhelmed and um, go into a, a panic attack where they feel like they can't breathe, mm. uh, they're not able to self-soothe, and, and then they get scared and that just worsens things. And so then the, the issue becomes whatever they were thinking about earlier that caused the panic attack then becomes about this physical manifestation of that anxiety.
0: Now, you've been doing this for a very long time, 35 years. Have you ever seen anything like this? You know,
1: I, I certainly have not. Um, this is, I think, stress stress uh, level that is beyond what I could imagine. And, again, it's not just the people served, because that's certainly what we're talking about today. But I want to emphasize the workforce is in that same state as well. And so um, getting the workforce um, that provides these essential services to come to work, to be able to function in such a way when they have stress in their own lives has been, I think, one of the biggest challenges of the mental health field, and not just here in
0: Oakland County, but across the state and the country. How can the state help with this? Is there anything that the state could do to provide services and get more help for these people? You know, I think the state has done a great job looking at some of the barriers and
1: said, okay, what can we do with interns and graduates to bring them into the workforce sooner so that there's more care available for kids and adults who are having trouble accessing providers. So that I've been um, very pleased to see with the state. I've also seen uh, a greater investment in services in the moment, the crisis services, like what Common Ground does. That has not been, I think, as much of a focus as it is today. Um, in the past. So I'm very pleased to see that happen. And I think it's really what what, what I'm saying we have to do is we, we have to, we can't, you know, can't let up. We have to continue to try to build the workforce. We have to um, provide the services in whatever way people need it, whether it's telephone, text, chat, mobile crisis, walk-in facility, or virtual. So all modes to make it easier for people to access the care they need wherever they are.
0: What about more facilities for people that are really struggling and might need advanced care, Heather Ray?
1: Yes, there's been a lot of discussion about psychiatric inpatient beds and the need for them. And I I see that that changing, excuse me, I see that changing. There's more and more beds coming um, online or in the pipeline too. So I think that is a really important step, Um, but it's not, it's it's when things get so bad that there's no other option is when inpatient unit is really important, but there's so much we can do before a person gets to that point that I'd like to see a greater investment in as well.
0: What can we do? How can we help with the situation just in our everyday lives? You can um, help us educate people about the
1: 988, the three-digit phone number. It is an equivalent to 911, only it is for behavioral health crises. So you can help us spread the word. It can be anonymous. People don't have to give their um, their name or their address. If they call, they can call for support. They can call for any type of crisis that they're feeling. And so that's the that's really the early intervention Part of what people can help us with is really getting that 988 phone number out there.
0: You know, you sound like you have so much passion for this issue and for the work that you do. Tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background, Heather.
1: I entered the field really as um, a result of being a teenager who was struggling myself. And so, um, you know, my parents tried to uh, convince me to go to therapy, and of course I resisted at first, just like any other teenager, but I eventually came around, and that that experience really inspired me to say, wow, I wanna do this. So um, I went to Western Michigan University, um, got my degree, then later got my graduate degree, and um, have been working in the field for a long time with all kinds of people, with all kinds of issues, uh, developmental disabilities, adolescents with serious emotional disturbances, and and then adults. And most recently, um, really it's really 2015, I became the CEO of Common Ground after our longtime CEO, uh, retired, Tony Rothschild. Um, And before that, I was the vice president of programs of Common Ground. So I'm very familiar with our programs, and you're right. I'm very passionate about what we do because not only do I think We're great at it, but I think it's also so important to have crisis services in our communities.
0: You know, one good thing that I see in our community is that young adults are more than willing, most young adults are more than willing to go and talk to somebody, to get help. It seems like the stigma about getting help is actually going away, which is a great thing.
1: Yes, it is. And um, it's, it's really, I think, for kids... Uh, what I've always enjoyed about working with kids is when they make a decision to make a change, yes. they do it. For us adults, <laughs> it can sometimes take a lot longer, and we find reasons to procrastinate. But for for youth, they're not. They don't have that same um, kind of structure in their mind about you know, well, I can, you know, wait for another year or two because that seems like so far away from them for them. So they're in the moment. They make a decision to change. They can do it right away with supports. Not that it's easy, but it, it is a much different kind of treatment environment for kids. And that stigma is near not nearly as intense as it is for adults, but it, it is improving for adults too. And we can thank the pandemic for that because so many more people have sought treatment, that it's become normal. It's become part of health in our lives. And I see that as being a really important um, a way to bust stigma.
0: Heather Ray, President and CEO of Common Ground, how can people get in touch with you?
1: They can get in touch with Common Ground by going to our website, which is www.commongroundhelps.org. Uh, we have links to 988 and all of our services And there's phone numbers for access if people want to uh, pick up the phone and give us a call.
0: Thank you for the great conversation today, Heather Ray. And again, congratulations on being one of our 2023 Women Who Lead honorees. Thank you, Anne. Appreciate it. You are listening to Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after this. are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas and we continue the conversation now with Shelley Pizers, Comerica Bank Senior Vice President and National Director of Events and Contributions. Shelley is also the president of the Comerica Foundation. Welcome to the show, Shelley.
2: Thank you, Ann. Such an honor to be here.
0: Well, you know, I saw this Comerica Bank's Women's Business Symposium. It's returning to Greater Detroit on April 5th. And I said, I got to talk to somebody about this. And you are the perfect person, Shelley. So just talk to us a little bit about the event. It's coming back, which is great.
2: As you said, April 5th. You can't miss the date because it's the day before Tigers opening day, right? right. Very exciting time for Detroit. A lot going on. We'll be downtown at Ford Field. We have an incredible lineup of speakers again this year. This is our fourth annual event in the city of Detroit. And this is part of a series of events that we take across the country designed to lift women up and help people succeed. So it's a really great platform for sharing ideas and perspectives to do that. This year, 10 to 3 jam-packed schedule we will open up with Megan Crespi, our Chief Operating Officer, and Christine Moore, our Chief Auditor. And the two of them will introduce local speakers in a panel as well as some very significant keynotes who speak to women and on women in business type issues.
0: You know, Shelley, it's such an interesting event because we all know the importance and the power of networking for women. And I know you know that yourself. So talk a little bit about that, how networking is really key to having a great career.
2: The event itself is designed to do just that. We network at the front end and the back end. And that's because women who have attended the event ask for that. And it's just what you said, Anne. They're so excited to be together and connect. We see an amazing amount of activity within the conference for the day. And what they do is they talk to each other and keep those conversations going. Because what happens is, it's important to have that support outside. So in my experience, no one has an opportunity to move forward by themselves. It's always a collaborative effort. You need those supporters. You need those cheerleaders. You need the mentors, both informal and formal, Um, and this type of event connects to some of the most influential women in business in the community, and it's local, and it's connected, and it's just so exciting. The energy is amazing, just amazing, and it's all about just that.
0: You know, the other reason that this event caught my attention is because, as we all know, Shelley Peisers, during the pandemic, women really struggled, and a lot of women left the workforce. I think that this is awesome that you're holding this business symposium, coming back to Greater Detroit, because women need this now.
2: They need it more than ever. I've seen our own team struggle through being isolated at home or being isolated with children and parents and other responsibilities. And they really wanted to be back. It's part of your social, emotional, and connectional um, surroundings. And it's really important for us to be together and not be so separated. We actually held virtual events during the pandemic, but it wasn't the same. We had great engagement, but we kept having people saying, we want to get back together. Uh, So it's really important to understand that having personal and physical connections in the greater world, in our offices, in our social lives, what they do for our emotional health, um, our psychological health, we've really seen that. And this event, what's great about this event is it's on its way to selling out, and every event we've brought back so far this year is doing that because people want to be together.
0: Talk to a little bit about getting back into the office, maybe a hybrid model. But I think, based on my experience in my career, that it's really important to have people back in the office, maybe not every day, but definitely for part of the time, a hybrid model where we are able to work with each other once again and mentor each other.
2: I think what we miss being segregated and looking at a laptop all day is some of those casual conversations that can develop into the best conversations we have. So I think it's important to be flexible. I think we've all learned that there's different work models. Um, I have two children who work remote and they enjoy that, but they also said that they deliberately need to make personal connections Uh, with meetings and events around their work life in order to keep the connection. So um, the flexibility is good, though. If you have a schedule that uh, has heavy commuting, for example, and that's quite common for some people, it gives you a relief on those days when maybe you can work from home. Uh, But we miss the physical, casual conversations. Like, there isn't anything better to me than walking down the hallway and stopping with somebody and having a quick conversation about this upcoming event or ideas that I have for future events or what are we doing with the community impact. And we notice that on the Teams calls and on the online calls, we don't get that casual brain conversation that helps us think sometimes about new ideas. It's much more difficult. So you can be collaborative, you can get work done, but it's not the same as some of those free flowing conversations that are critical towards moving the business forward, really.
0: Absolutely. I could not agree more. Now, this event, the Comerica Bank Women's Business Symposium coming back on April 5th, it also benefits a charity. Talk a little bit about this.
2: Yes, and thank you for asking that. Everything that we do has an impact, and we take that impact very seriously. And when we have such a high-profile event, such as the Comerica Bank Women's Business Symposium, we want to make sure we're connecting to the local community in the best possible way, so not only with our attendees, not only with amazing content and a little bit of entertainment and interest, but also for the community. And I take this very seriously, especially since charitable contributions is actually in my job title. But we started this before I started working in that division. So the community impact, what we do is we choose a local charity that supports women and girls in the community where the event is taking place. And we've chosen alternatives for girls because we're very involved with them in the local community. In fact, Christine Moore, our chief auditor and our co-host for the event, she sits on the board with them, and she's actively involved as a volunteer. And you're probably aware of this, but America Bank is very vo- volunteer oriented. We put in thousands of hours year, uh, each year into the local community. So we also want to give back. And I think the women at the event, they feel good about the connection. They know that they're coming to learn, connect, and grow, but also to contribute. And so Alternatives for Girls is our benefit in charity this year in Detroit, and we're honored to work alongside with them to make sure that we can bring them more funds so they can make a bigger impact in the community.
0: Shelley Pizer is Comerica Bank Senior Vice President and National Director of Events and Contributions. Shelley is also the President of the Comerica Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this great event.
2: And thank you really, again, really appreciate all you do to support women in leadership.
0: You are listening to Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after this. as Women Who Lead continues, we welcome Janet Fowdy, the executive chair of the board for Deloitte, the largest professional services organization in the United States. Janet is also the co-author of a great new book on leadership called Arrive and Thrive. Seven Impactful Practices for Women Navigating Leadership. She's also going to be in Detroit on March 28th to speak to the Detroit Economic Club. Welcome to the show, Janet.
3: Thank you so much, Ann. It's really my pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Oh, it's great to have you here. Let's start out, first of all, and just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got to where you are at this fantastic position, Executive Chair of the Board for Deloitte.
3: Well, I start. thank you so much for the opportunity to talk a little bit about myself. Um, I started with Deloitte right out of business school, um, intending to do a couple of years and then figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I had the tremendous opportunity through our consulting business, which is where I spent the bulk of my career to serve clients for um, the last three decades, but then the opportunity to lead various parts of our business, our technology business, our federal government business, CEO of Deloitte Consulting, and I've spent the last four years in this role as an active partner in the firm, advising clients and working closely with our CEO. We have an amazing business in Michigan. I would be remiss if I didn't point that out. We have over 1,700 professionals in our offices across four cities um, in Michigan. Um, I actually had the opportunity, my second project um, in the firm, I'm based in Chicago, but my second project in the firm was in Detroit, so it's very near and dear to my heart. On a personal front, um, I'm the mom of almost 26 year old twins, and my husband and I um, still stay based in Chicago. So that's just a little bit about me.
0: Oh, this is great to know. Now, how did it come that you decided to co author this book, Arrive and Thrive Seven Impactful Practices for Women Navigating Leadership?
3: I will tell you, I did not have, in, if I had had a grand life plan, it would not have been to author a book. But my colleagues um, at Simmons University and I got together and we, our team said, you know, you should write a book together. And we thought, does the world really need another book on women in leadership? (laughs) And what we found was this interesting white space in and around, not how to get there or how to climb the ladder, but once you're there, and there being your first leadership role to taking your first role as a senior executive to moving between executive roles, how can you really thrive as a leader, Um, and that was a place that we thought there was a really missing part of the conversation. So three of us set out to both do research, spend time with wonderful executives in the community, and share our own experiences in a really sort of practical and actionable way to try to create the space for the conversation around thriving.
0: You know what I find helpful about this book is that you have it divided into seven practices. And for a really busy executive, that's helpful because they can kind of take one practice at a time, dissect it, and then move on when they're ready.
3: So the two things I really love um, in putting this book together were, in the frame of the practices we've talked about, is um, storytelling, um, tools, and then lists. And to your point around busy busy leaders, you know, lists and, and tools that you can go back to time and time again against these seven practices.
0: Let's start out with practice number one, investing in your best self. You know, I know what that means. I know it means I need to take care of myself. I need to know who I am. But can you elaborate on that?
3: you know, this is funny, this is the practice where I probably learned the most through the journey of writing this book with my co-authors, mm-hmm. because I'm someone who was always, I was always really clear on what was important to me as um, as a businesswoman, as an executive, as a mom, um, as a wife, as a sister, but i had never really been as deliberate around getting to creating the space beyond just knowing myself and knowing what was important my co-authors really pushed me really pushed me um in this space in a very different way and what i took away from it actually is that time spent reflecting and getting to know yourself is not time wasted so many of us are and i'm certainly this way if i'm not putting one foot in front of another every minute of every day, even sometimes even breathing time wasted. And so that is really sort of the heart of this part of the conversation for us is making sure that you really spend time knowing yourself, knowing what's important to you, and then creating that space.
0: Now, Janet Fowdy, there are some techniques to do that and to do it the right way. Can you talk a little bit about how to go about doing that? It isn't just you and I sitting around thinking about who we are. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I love that. It is um, it is for sure the heart of the matter is is using the sets of tools that we've laid out in the book which include a pretty wide variety um, a pretty wide variety of tool sets to to be really disciplined in and around the work yourself um, and with what what we refer to as sort of your your board of directors of people who are going to help sort of challenge your thinking and make sure that you are um, getting as as deep in understanding who you are um, to 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 push the real work forward.
0: All right, practice number two: embracing authenticity. How do we go about mm-hmm. doing that?
3: So, embracing authenticity is probably the the, the practice that I'm the most passionate about um, because the conversation has changed so much in my 30 years um, that I've been that I've been um, in, in the business world. I'll tell you that when I when I started my career authenticity was absolutely not part of the conversation. Authenticity as we've come to understand it isn't only about embracing what makes you unique, it's about expressing the principles you believe in and creating the space to allow others to do the same. And it's it's not it's not always sort of easy and intuitive. Often You have to be very uh, a little bit to our to our best self conversation. Be thoughtful about where's the boundary. What do you want to share? What not? Let me just share a quick story around how I came to appreciate this. I was a new mom of twins. Um, I was a senior manager at Deloitte, positioned to um, be on a path to partner. And I've been pretty much in a. I grew up at the intersection of financial services and technology. And pretty much focused on conforming. Well, I hit this point as a mom of newborn twins and on a path to become a partner where the reality is I didn't have the space to be anything but myself. And what I found was that in being a bit more more vulnerable and showing a bit more of myself um, to my team, created this incredible dynamic because what I found in turn was that my team was then able to share more of their themselves and be more authentic. And then in turn, it it created this incredible sort of momentum and a a high-performing team, the likes with which I'd never seen before. So it is about figuring out what is important to share and then all the goodness that can come of creating the space by demonstrating your authenticity as a leader to then have others be able to reflect um, themselves, build confidence, and all the goodness that comes from 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 all all of that um all of that momentum.
0: You know, I really like this practice too because I think that dealing with the younger generation is different than it was let's say 20 25 years ago. And I 100%. think percent Yes, and I think your children, my children, they really appreciate when we sit with them and we share who we are and what we've been through. And, you know, we don't like being in traffic either. Or we had a really tough night last night, too. I just think right now in 2023, embracing authenticity is a big part of leadership.
3: Well, and I I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's not just talking about it. I Mm -hmm. think it's also demonstrating that vulnerability and who you are. And that I've found um, both talking about it and creating the space to really demonstrate it allows us to do what we know. Sort of At the heart of the matter of this conversation is we know and research certainly bears out that more diverse teams um, create better results. We know that teams that have more space for diversity can draw on talent from a much broader set of, of, um, of leaders in the market. And it has this wonderful circular effect that if you can create the space to show and demonstrate and live your authenticity, it allows your team to do the same. And I couldn't agree with you more that the conversation has changed fundamentally, where frankly, it was all about how do you conform as much as possible to a very different place today.
0: Practice number three, cultivating courage. How do you go about doing that? That's not an easy one.
3: Um, practice 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 (laughs) so I define courage and I know that sounds very sort of pedantic and boring Um, but courage I believe is about doing things that make you uncomfortable
2: Mm.
3: you and I might have really different definitions of things that make us uncomfortable for me um, you know I started in this career you know 30-plus years ago so I have not had to make big courageous career changes Um, I've sort of had a much more organic career for me Courage has been about having hard conversations, telling a client something they might not want to hear, giving feedback to a colleague. And what I've found is to have the courage to do those hard things, whether it's making a tough decision about a career choice, whether it's delivering a tough message. It is about really being disciplined around the message you want to deliver, practicing, getting really thoughtful around how you want to do it. And then and then taking the leap of faith with the the discipline and the work behind it which I know sounds I, again very sort of run-of-the-mill meat and potatoes but I do believe that's what's built my own sense of courage and confidence I also know that courage 100% is contagious and by and it actually ties a little bit to authenticity which mm-hmm. I think is contagious yes. as well but if you can demonstrate courage um, in your in your conversations in the places where you take the leap of faith, it then absolutely inspires others to be courageous as well.
0: I find practice number four also really interesting for the times, fostering resilience, because I think we understand the importance of being resilient, you know, kind of sticking with things through the ups and downs. But I'm not sure that the younger generation thinks the same way we do, Janet Fowdy.
3: I think resilience is actually grounded, and what I like about this language is that resilience is founded in the fact that success does not have to be linear. Mm -hmm. And I love the conversation with sort of the the up-and-coming generation that's what important is not flawlessness, but a commitment to continuous improvement innovation. I actually think that really resonates, Um, and it is not just, you know, on – resilience and jumping up and jumping up and jumping up, and that's certainly part of it, but it's this idea that resilience can be about how do we get better, how do we innovate from what we've learned. Um, And I think these last sets of years have pushed us to that end uh, more than certainly any time in my um, decades of history.
0: Now, practice number five, inspiring a bold vision. Number six, creating a healthy team environment. Number seven, committing to the work of the inclusive leader. We just have a couple of minutes left in this conversation. Which one of these do you also feel we should discuss with our listeners?
3: 100% inspiring of bold vision, and let me tell you why. I never in a trillion years would have thought when I started my career that I would have the privilege of sitting in the seats I've sat in and in talking to you today, and that is because... I believe that to be a leader, you had to be someone who woke up in the middle of the night or in the morning with a brilliant new idea that no one had ever thought of before. <laughs> and frankly, we, we as a culture really idealized that idea of the sort of wow moment of something that no one has ever thought about. And what I found was that inspiring a bold vision, which is a critical skill for leadership, doesn't necessarily have to come from having the brilliant new idea that no one had ever thought of. Women in particular can often be really intimidated by this sort of picture that we collectively have painted as a society. And I believe inspiring a bold vision can come from doing some of the things that women do really well. And by the way, many men do really well as well, listening, connecting the dots, looking for white space, Thinking about once you have a new idea, how do you communicate it to a wide set of audiences to get them to come along the journey with you? So that's the one of the remaining three that I have the most energy around and I love, as you can probably tell, to talk about and think yes. is so important for women in particular not to be intimidated by and realize there's lots of ways to create and inspire a bold
0: vision. Janet Fowdy, Executive Chair of the Board for Deloitte, I can't let you go without getting one last piece of advice. Give us some advice for young women and men starting their careers in 2023.
3: Know that you are not in it alone and you don't have to go it alone. It can be feel really lonely and really scary and know that there are so many of us out there rooting for you, cheering for you and know that you're not in it alone.
0: Janet Foudy, Executive Chair of the Board for Deloitte. It has been a real pleasure talking to you, and we look forward to having you in town. Thank you so much.
3: I'm really looking forward to it.
0: You've been listening to Women Who Lead. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend.